Ronananian. I've got a laptop for every manufacturer. I've got five laptops in the shop, uh, you know, six desktop computers, and, you know, this is the business today. The Car Doctor. Bring it to the dealer, and they tell me, uh, oh, it might not be covered under warranty. It's driving me up a tree because it won't start at times. Like- when you put the truck in crank mode, that bulb lights up. We know it's got power down to the starter. And- Welcome to the radio home of Ronananian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ron and Indian, the car doctor. Come on in, sit down, let's talk. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Car doctor 24-7 phone number. It's there all the time, whether we are or not. We're live out on the network Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, you can call 855-560-9900, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, I should point out. Um, but you can call that 855-560-9900 phone number and leave a message if we're not here. Leave a message fast. Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and get you in queue. And uh, we'll see what's going on from there and talk to you about your car problem. There's information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. You'll find links to TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, and all sorts of things going on as far as if how you want to take the car doctor, how you want to listen to it, whether it be by streaming or podcast and so on. And um, we're going to be looking to change that. We're still trying to change that. That's uh, an ongoing conversation here at the Car Doctor. But um, we're so busy five days a week doing cars, fixing cars, and then Saturday doing a radio show. Sunday we all get to it and we go, whew. And um, we all tend to sit on Saturday but or Sunday, but um, you get it. We're, uh, we're trying to make it better for you. Speaking of making it better, and I thought this was an interesting email. It comes to me from Michael in Bergenfield, New Jersey, and um, I, I, I took great interest in it. And um, it's an email that before we get over to the phones, which I know are, are, are very busy and backed up, um, and the email starts out, Hey, Ron, Michael from Bergenfield, New Jersey. I'm a longtime listener. been listening to you over the years. And I'm just curious, and this is sort of a personal question, I, I notice that my eyesight is getting a little tough to deal with as I get older and I'm still trying to fix cars. I'm in the same age group as you. Wait a minute. Am I old? No, I'm not old. Tom, give me the high sign. Thanks, Tom. I knew I could count on you. And I'm just wondering what you do when you're dealing with a PC-based scan tool. Do you have a way around it? Because it seems kind of tough to keep a laptop on your knee and scan it and read and things like that. What do you do, Michael, Bergenfield, New Jersey? Mike, I'll tell you what. Yeah, valid points. You know what? You, you get a little older, and it's it's you still want to be in the game, and you have to utilize what you've got. Take a look at Ease Scan Tools. You'll find more out on the web, easescantool.com. And and what Steve has put together, and that's that's the uh, that's the gentleman's name that designed this software way back when. We've been using it in the shop forever and ever. Um, one of the nice things about Ease is their ability to manipulate the data in the screen, and specifically, they make it so that you can you know customize what data you want to see on the computer monitor. And it's real easy to view the data. You can actually view it from a distance. You can be, you know, I've got my PC back against the wall. My laptops I can have next to me, but I've got, you know, my third bay diagnostic computer up against the wall, and I'm in the car 10, 12 feet away. And to tell you the truth, I'll stand on the other side of the shop, and depending upon which screen I'm using in ease and be able to see coolant temp, or I'm working on a car in bay one, and I've got bay three going, 
and I can watch the coolant temp from bay one and actually see when temp hits or see when the cooling fan comes on. It just makes life a whole lot easier than having to be right on top of it. And the really nice thing is the e-scan tool that I tell you is wireless, and wireless is the way to go. It's They've been at it. They've been doing wireless, and I think they do wireless better than just about anybody in this day and age. And uh, they were the ones that, in my mind, created wireless so many years ago. But get out to eScantool, eScantool.com, and you'll find more information for you right there. So um, that would be my recommendation. And thanks, Mike. I appreciate the email. Let's uh, let's kick the garage doors open. I know Harry's waving at me frantically. He's like, come on, you got calls, and uh, you've only got an hour left this week. So uh, let's see what we can do. Let's go over to Steve, Concord, New Hampshire, 2003 Jaguar. Jaguar. Is that the right way to say that? And uh, uh, ain't no start. What's going on, Steve? Well, thanks for taking my call. I've been listening to you over 15 years since I found you. Thank you, sir. What's going on here? And uh, what's happening is I I purchased a car about five years ago. And the first winter, I experienced hard starts, especially when it was cold. When you you say hard starts, Steve, is it that it cranks or it doesn't crank? Is this a no crank? Right. It cranks and it, it... I used to work on the old old stuff a long time ago, and it, it hasn't a, a feel that it's just not sparking. But then uh, after I, after about ten or fifteen minutes of uh, trying to crank it, pull the key out, put it back in, because I was told the jag, everything functions off the key entry into the ignition, the pump, everything goes on. So I, after doing that several times, the car will, will uh, fire up. Well, you know, this is an 03. This is this is a Ford-flavored vehicle, all right? Um, on top of the dashboard, is there a little red light that blinks or is on constant, depending upon vehicle? It, bl- uh, it blinks, when it, blinks when it's off. Right, okay, yeah, this is a PATS system car. This is a perimeter anti-theft system. This is a Ford PATS system. And what a PAT system will do is it will put the vehicle into a no-crank condition, not a no, which obviously is a no-start, but it's not that it's going to let it crank and not start. So, you know, listen, we got to start all diagnosis is where I always say, has anybody scanned the car? Has anybody, you know, approached this as let's just see what sort of information the car will give up before we start going off looking for the, the needle in the haystack? Yes, I, I have. I've gone. I actually took it to the Jag dealer. And they just want me to start dumping money into it. Well, yeah, so that's, took, that's not a diagnosis. I, took, um, I took, took it to another place, and they they um, they and they didn't charge me. They took out the, uh, the crankshaft sensor. That didn't do it, so they put it back the other one back in. Okay. And they they're telling me they're thinking it could be the whole assembly key assembly because one of the failures was a security failure. Okay. But what were the other failures? What were the other fault codes that were there? Do you know? Well, they had uh, the coils. A couple of the coils are misfiring over time, so I've, I've replaced all eight of them. I had the car tuned up last summer. And it doesn't happen very often during the summer, only at these times of the years in the, in the uh, fall, winter, and spring. Okay. You sound kind of mechanically handy, Steve. Well, I used to work on uh, it. The 66 Chevelle that I, okay. I rebuilt. All right. So if the 66 Chevelle, if you were down at Dairy Queen on Friday night and the Chevelle didn't start and you wanted to get out of there because your girlfriend was yelling at you, come on, Steve, let's go. <laughs> i got to get home. My dad says i got to be home by 11. It's quarter of. All right. Um, what would you do to that Chevelle? How would you diagnose that? Well, 
Well, I want to. If it's turning over, if it's not turning over, but I know the battery's good. I probably want to first thing pull out a screwdriver, and then try to bypass some of the some of the switches. Okay. And if it cranked and if it turned over, this is a crank no start. You said correct. 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 So this is a crank no start. So if this was your '66 Chevelle and it cranked no started, what would you do? Would you take the air cleaner off and look down the throat and look to see if you've got fuel coming out of the carb? Yeah, I do that. All right. I can't do that with this thing. And right. I would, uh, has anybody the, has anybody fuel filter? Has anybody checked fuel pressure on this car when it goes into a crank no start? Yes, they, this past garage did, and they said I was getting plenty of pressure. Just just thinking it's the uh, ignition switch, the wiring. Okay. So my next question is, can, well, I've got two things on the back of my mind. When you turn the key to the on position but not start, you see the check engine light come on? Normal, right? Bulb, uh, bulb check? Yes. Yeah, just normal yes. normal condition, right? So yep. my question is, when it goes into this crank no start condition and you turn the key off and turn the key on and it's still crank no start, do you ever notice it where the, the check engine light's not on? No, it's always on. It's always on. So so the PCM is always awake. All right. So they're thinking it's an ignition switch because the ignition switch is not sending signal down to the PCM? They're thinking it's that because it it might have something to do with the the mechanism wiring because they're getting a security failure. Okay. So then at that point, why don't we put a 194 side marker bulb in there? Why don't we just put a bulb in the circuit? Cut the wire, put a bulb in the circuit, have the bulb stick out from under the dash. When that circuit is energized to send its its voltage down to the PCM, it's going to light up, correct? Yep. And the car is going to start. When the car goes into a no-start condition, if that bulb's not lit, if that's the signal out from the ignition switch, as long as you've got signal in, you've got a bad ignition switch, and you just proved it. That's great advice. I want to... I'm going to go see the guy tomorrow. All right, go talk to him. Take a look at the wiring diagram. See if it'll tolerate the resistance value of the bulb. And chances are it should, but it's going to be the telltale, and it'll at least give you some information on which way to go. Steve, you know where to find me if I'm not around and you've got more questions. Always glad to talk to you, and thanks for being a Car Doctor listener for 15 years. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Ron and Indian, the Car Doctor, happy to be here at 855-560-9900, cardoctorshow.com. For more information, don't forget we're out on Facebook, Ron and Indian, the Car Doctor. Let's get over, you know, this this next caller, I love talking to Ellison. Ellison from Troy, Virginia. We've been talking for, I bet it's got to be 10, 12 years now, Ellison. What do you think? Yeah, man, but not too often. I haven't talked to you in a while. That's yeah. the reason I yeah. wanted to talk to you. I didn't want to forget your voice. I listened to you on tape. On Sundays, because I can't get you direct. Yeah, I, I dig it, man. I uh, and you've got you still driving around the cornfields, or what's the what's the story there? That's about the best I can do, because you know I got that macro degeneration, legally blind. I, I couldn't get my permit renewed, so I got trucks still, and uh, got two trucks, and got cars. This car I was getting ready to discuss with you is with my daughters, and uh, I headed to park it, and and the head gasket went on it. It's a 2006 Impala. Right. And 
the head gadget went on, and she bought a, a new car because I gave her. I know they won't give anything on a tray with a blowing head gasket. Right. Anyway, I uh, I put another motor in it, and then it was running five, and the check engine light kind of was coming on, and my nephew put this scanner on it, and it showed oxygen sensor. Okay. So my question was, I put the upstream. I'm learning a little bit about some things. Uh, the upstream and then the downstream is behind the catalytic converter. I didn't replace the downstream, and I replaced the upstream, and the light went out. And, but I don't drive it as much. I drove it about seven, eight miles, about six or seven miles since we put it on. And uh, the light is out. But I was just wondering, should I have placed the downstream also? Well, no. The question here becomes, well, let's let's back up a second. Okay. So do you remember which fault code... The vehicle generated P zero one thirty three, P zero one thirty five, P zero one thirty six. Ringing any bells? Oh, I know you was going to ask me that. I meant to ask him. I meant to write that down. But the only thing he told me was it said oxygen sensor. Okay. So here's the deal. the The old engine had a head gasket failure, right? The old engine did. The yeah. old I engine did. I engine in it. it didn't right. have eighty thousand miles on it. And chances are that when the head gasket failed, it pumped coolant through the engine. Do you, uh, okay. Do you recall? Did she say anything about white smoke coming out the tailpipe? Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I say, I got the car and brought it here to my house because she lives 16 miles from me in Charlottesville, and she bought another car. And right. uh, well, I drove it, and we put dope in it, and, and it was smoking and steaming, and it found it locked up. Right. And then yeah. I put the other motor in it. And see what happens is antifreeze, it, oxygen sensors, and antifreeze are kind of like your relatives at Christmas. They just don't get along. I got you. And it's, you know what, they they acknowledge each other's in the building, but they just like bumping into each other and annoying themselves. So, you know, what probably took out that O2 was the coolant and the head gasket failure and the coolant running through the system. So on the basis of that, before you put this car out to the out to, out to back on the road to service, I would tell you, yeah, change the downstream O2. Because depending upon how much you're going to use it and how long before the monitors run to completion, you may not know it for another week or two, and then you're going to have to bring it back and do it anyway. It's 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 right. cheap insurance at this stage of the game. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, and, and one more little question I was yeah. going to ask about uh, now: it, the car won't be ran much because, like I say, I don't have a driver's license. I have to get somebody to drive the damn thing. I should sell it, but uh, I hate to get depart from it. But uh, I'm uh, acceptable to. That no, no ethanol gas. You think that would be a benefit not driving it much versus the ethanol gas? Well, no, I would tell you just to drive it, and I wouldn't worry about the gas at this point. Let me ask you something, Ellison. What are you going if, if you're not going to drive it, what are you going to keep it for? Well, like I say, I, went to, I, got, I got a couple drivers that are driving me, and I'd rather have my car oh, okay. uh, when I, I go got somewhere. You. I got you. Are you still, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you something before, before I let you go. Is, your wife's not listening to the show today, is she? Oh, uh, and that, <laughs> I wouldn't make it do with it. Are you still hiding the cars from her? Does she still know how many cars you have lying around the property? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, she, like I said, I said, I'm hoping she'll be able to drive soon because she had a, uh, like a, a, a slight stroke and she can't drive now. But once she, and she was driving at first. So once I, I should not only depart from them. I'm, I'm hoping, I hope my eyes will get okay and both of us will be back driving. Well, I'll tell you what, God bless you and I hope you are too for your sake because I think, um, you know what, you, you're a car guy, man. I've known that over the years. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, you just, you like the smell, the sight, the shape, the feel, the taste. 
you, you know, it's um, you just uh, cars are your piano. You, well, you see, just I, you just play that like music. Job. He's up around New York City. You're you're naked of the woods in Chicago, New Jersey, where I went to Ally School uh, for a week up there, and uh, I know all that area. And he's like the old truck drivers, drove trucks and stuff all my life. So it's, I guess it's in my blood. Yeah, it's in your blood, man. Yeah. Hey, hey, listen, it's been a pleasure. Let's not let's not make it another two years before we hear from you, huh? Yeah. There you go. Okay, I definitely want it. I'm looking for my T-shirt here. I say you're going to send me. Yeah, we'll send that on down to you. God if bless you. If it can smell, too, that'd be fine. Uh, yeah, say, <laughs> say that again. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ellison, you you take good care. You be good. Let's get over and talk to Ken in the Virgin Islands, 2012 Ford Escape, and some other questions. Ken, welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. Well, thanks for taking my call. I'm just flabbergasted that I got in. I, oh. uh, I just have a couple of quick, easy questions. I'm a retired uh construction uh, field mechanic, you know, uh, down here, worked on a bunch of junk, basically. Uh, But this 012 uh, Escape that my wife's using, I'm concerned, I've been listening to your podcast uh, about the carbonization. This this vehicle is going into its, well, it'll be four years old in just a month or two, and uh, it's only got 10,000 miles on it. You can imagine it's a small island. Wow, yeah. Yeah. I have I have bought I've used uh, in my uh, in my older vehicles I got a couple of old, a 98 uh, I got a 98 S10 and a 98 Suzuki uh, little car that I run around in myself but uh, I use this stuff it's a upper cylinder lubricant okay do you know the brand? Uh, I, I mean I'm familiar with it as a generic term Ken is it is it specifically is it a brand or a product designed to okay, remove well, carbon okay well the brand is you don't mind me giving no, out brand names? It's a Lucas product. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, and listen. I'm wondering if that if that's going to be any any effect on the uh, on the on the escape if it's safe to use in that. I don't want to trip any lights because God knows these computers scaring the life out of me. Yeah. No. 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 And I don't think it's going to be a case of that. What I would do is, and you know what, some of our old habits as old mechanics. They die hard. You know, there's still some things I do, and I have to stop and question myself. Am I right? Am I wrong? And, you know, how do I prove to myself that what I learned 35, 40 years ago still applies today? And in, in the case of this, I would call Lucas. Here's the vehicle I want to use. Here's the vehicle I'm using. Um, can I still use this product on this newer vehicle? And if not, what do you have that will? Lucas makes some very fine products, and I, I would tell you to do it that way. Um, but the idea of decarbonizing the top end of the engine, absolutely positively, because there are some real issues there, especially on a 10,000-mile vehicle. And if you don't think it's bad now, wait till a year and a half, two years from now, once the EPA removes all the detergent additives from gasoline, and then it becomes a real big problem. Hey, Ken, stay on the line. Uh, we'll run the phone bill up a little bit this weekend. Stay on the line, and uh, we'll be right back after this. I'm running in the car, doctor. Car Doctor here, banging on the drum all day and fixing your car, because that's what the radio show Car Doctor is all about. We're talking to Ken in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Ken, you're still there, sir? Yes, I'm still here, Ron. So I would just, you know, to finish up the first half of our conversation, I would clearly check with Lucas and get some type of carbon cleaning additive into that vehicle on a regular basis, because it's going to help with its longevity. And I realize saying, you know, somebody that goes 2,500 miles a year are worried about longevity, but you know what? Carbon can do some pretty nasty things in a very short period of time and mileage, so uh, it's good to stay on top of it. 
Uh, second part to your question? Uh, yeah, because our fuel quality is not the right. greatest here. Yeah, either. I would think. Uh, you know, I would think. So second part to your question, Ken? Okay, so this old S10 that I, I like I said, I just had to put a clutch in it and all, and it's got that, uh, I don't know who thought that was a great idea, but that concentric slave cylinder is just oh yeah, not yeah. the yeah. greatest idea as far as I'm concerned. When yep. I first saw it in the Ford products, I had to figure out, what the heck is this? <laughs> but having done a few Fords, and now this Chevy's got it, the, the bleeding of it, when you first you know hook it all back together, the pedal doesn't want to come up. Right. So I wound up having to jam a two by four, hold the pedal down overnight and let that uh, cylinder bleed back through right. the, the master, the, right. the clutch master. Is that right. the par for the course? Yeah. You know what I use? See, I'm, I'm spoiled. I remember, you know, 25, 30 years ago, they were selling brake bleeder syringes. Do you remember these? Well, I, I worked in a big shop in upstate New York uh, outside of Brewster. It okay. was a public utility shop. Right. And we had a bleeder ball. Yeah, well, see, these were, imagine a hypodermic like you would use for a needle, um, but they were about 30% bigger, and it was the idea that you would put brake fluid into it, and it had a little rubber booty at a right-angle bend, and then you could put, like, a tip on it to attach to a bleeder. And basically what you did was you filled it with brake fluid, you turned it upside down, you burped the air out of it, you put your finger over it, you put it right on the end of the bleeder, and gave it a shot right in. And it would push the air up to the master and fill the slave with fluid, or fill the wheel cylinder with fluid, or fill the master with fluid. It was the idea of a reverse bleed. And right, it right. Works, I see it. Yep. In, in, in this situation, it works really well. I, I, I haven't seen them in a long, long time. We used to get them for free, and then we started buying them. We used to get them for free in master cylinders. I can't remember the – I think the manufacturer at the time was ICE, E-I-S. Remember their brake line back in the 70s yep, and yep, the yep. 80s? And I've got a handful of them lying around the shop, and they still work to this day. And you know what? The old technology is the best. Um, I would probably Google search. I haven't ever – I haven't done it in a long time, um, but I would Google search brake – hydraulic bleeder or brake syringe bleeder. They actually had to stop making them 20 years ago because they're so worried about civil civil litigation and people using them to inject drugs in their bodies and all the stupid things that people oh, do today. God. Yeah, yeah, you know, so uh, we we we've, we've got to be so correct that we uh, you know, just take something that works and ban it from the marketplace. But you know, that's that's how I bleed them. Uh, you know, everybody's got their method and obviously the best way is just, you know, if you have to leave it open overnight, just tilt it one way or the other. I've I've done some vehicles, uh, you know, where the syringes don't work once in a while, where I've raised the front or lowered the or, or raised the rear and opened the bleeder, and just the idea that you want air to go uphill overnight and let it bleed out that way. But yeah, sometimes hydraulic <clears throat> hydraulic clutch slave circuits are interesting to bleed without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> I you know I like to talk to the guy who decided that was a good uh, good idea in the yeah. direction to go for yeah. uh, release bearing. But yeah. uh, yeah, anyway, know. I listened to your show on the uh, on the iPad, and uh, the last show I was hearing you talk about uh, decarbonization, and I'm thinking back to the old days when we used to just lean over and open the, the, the throttle body on the on the carburetor and pour water down. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Carburetor and, 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 and you know what? It. I'll tell you a real quick story. That's the best. In the old days, that was the best way to do it. And every once in a while, for a little bit of dramatic flair, as I'm pouring the water down the carburetor throat, I'd go into my pocket. Maybe this is where the car doctor thing came from. And I'd take out an aspirin 
right in front of the customer, and I drop the aspirin, and I go, call me in the morning, and they just look at me like, huh? You know, he gave my car aspirin, and it fixed it, and I mean, we're going back 25, 30 years. But anyway, listen, I got to go, Ken. The phones are backed up. I hope I was helpful, and uh, I'm glad to count you and the folks down there in the Virgin Islands among our listener base, and if you need anything, give us a shout. Let's go real quick and talk to Mary, Washington, Maine, and uh, 2009 Ford Fusion. Mary, welcome to The Car Doctor. How can I help? Oh, good afternoon. Yes, ma'am. Um, Okay, tire pressure problem with uh, the car. This past winter, uh, the low tire pressure light would come on quite frequently, and, you know, I realized that when it's, you know, 10 degrees below zero, that uh, it does, the tires do lose air. My question for you is the uh, aftermarket dealer that I bought the tires from um, suggests putting hydrogen in the tires. Nitrogen. That, nitrogen, right, excuse me. Yeah. Nitrogen, and that would alleviate this problem. And what is your opinion? Curious what your opinion is of that. If the rims are porous or if the rims are leaking, all right, around the bead, my experience is nitrogen's not going to solve it. A leak is a leak. The, the idea of nitrogen is that it's a more stable chemical or it's a more stable gas that it doesn't react to temperature changes as, as quickly as air does. And it's one of the reasons it was developed. And actually where nitrogen came from, again, to my understanding, is it came about as a result of racing. It was It's big in NASCAR mm-hmm. because when you're driving a 500-mile race, you want tire pressure to remain at a constant. It, it, it helps the cars. I think nitrogen in a consumer vehicle, an everyday vehicle, the answer to that question is, does everybody have nitrogen available to them? No. So, you know, the first time you have to stop somewhere on the road that doesn't have nitrogen and you put regular air back in it, you've just ruined the concept of it. So what's the point? Yeah, that's that's what uh, we thought. But we, my, we listen to you all the time and value your opinion. No, I understand. I, I appreciate that. I, you know, if it was me, I would be, is it just one tire that's doing this, Mary, or is it all four tires? No, it's usually a minimum of two, sometimes three. Okay. You know, back, I mean, in, the, back in the day, it would, and it still applies today, We've got a tire that's slowly losing air. Rather than assume, is pull the tire off the vehicle, put it in a water tank, fill it up to 35, fill it up to 40, fill it up to 45, look for the bubbles. Maybe there's a small puncture somewhere. Maybe it's the bead, but at least then you'll know. If it's the bead, if it's a puncture, fix it. If it's the bead, then the tire has to be broken down, and there's a there's a method called bead sealing, B-E-A-D, bead sealing, where they'll actually clean the corrosion off the rim and then apply the sealer and then remount the tire, and that should solve it. In extreme cases, the rim has to be replaced, but the fact that this is only a six-year-old vehicle, chances are this is just calcium and calcification on the rim. You guys up there... The tire's on even 15,000 miles. Right, yeah, and that's it's very possible. It's, 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 it's not the tire's fault. It's the rim itself. It's the rim, okay. Yeah, the rim itself... Uh, particularly if you're in a part of the country that's using a heavy salt compound to remove, you know, ice and and, and slush from the road. Yeah, and, that's us. Yeah, that's Maine. I know. I, I say that kind of softly, but I, I see and I read that all the time up in Maine, that they use a heavy salt compound to uh, clear the roads, and that tends to beat up the rims as well. So I would be more focused on where is it leaking from, clean, clean and seal the bead if that's what it needs, and I would stay away from nitrogen. I think it's a waste of money. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Mary. You yeah, take bye-bye. You take good care. Bye-bye. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. 
Welcome back. Ron Nini and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Remember, that's 24-7. You need the Car Doctor during the week. Just call, leave a message, and Fast Harry will call you back and put you in the lineup for the following live show, Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's get over and talk to Bill in Zephyr Hills, Florida, 84, I'm sorry, 84 Corvette uh, V8 Crossfire. This is a Crossfire car. I remember these. Hey, Bill. How are you? Is this really an 84 or is it an 82 and a half? Eighty four, uh, it's a crossfire. Right, it's one of the last ones made. Yeah, yep, yeah. Um, you know, there's no, and, and I'm sure you're aware for everyone's benefit, there are no eighty three Corvettes. No, yeah, it was it was eighty two, eighty two and a half. Was there an eighty two? I know there was an eighty two and a half. It was eighty two and a half, no eighty two. Right, yeah, because um, that was the first year V eight Crossfire, and um, I actually remember going to school for that car. So let's see what I can remember from oh, my from, from my Great. school days. So go ahead, what do you got? Okay. I ran it all the time. I had no problem with it. Put it in a garage because of sickness. Uh, didn't get to crank it. The, the battery died. Okay. Put it on a trickle charger probably two days at two amp. Went out and cranked it, and it wants to crank, but it seems like it runs out of fuel. I pump the accelerator. I can keep it running. Turn loose to the accelerator. It wants to shut down. Uh, sit there a second. Crank it right back up. Same deal. It just does not want to continue running. I thought, again, knucklehead, I thought that it would be a fuel filter. Jack that sucker up. Now, I'm not a little guy. I'm about 270 pounds. Getting under is a little bit of a Yeah, high. that's a challenge. Yeah. So I, I changed the fuel filter, and it still does the same thing. So okay. now you can give me a suggestion. I would greatly appreciate it. It sounds like you've got spark. Because you're saying you can feather it and keep it running. Correct. So what I'm thinking about, you know, how long did it sit for, Bill? About a month. Okay, not very long. No. But, you know, in Florida, you, you I always think about bugs and insects and rodents and, you know, I don't know where, where it was stored or where it was housed. But, you know, if we, if we assume it's a product of the environment, and it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't want to idle, and you can't you can't keep it going up off idle, correct? If you if you were to hold the throttle at a quarter th- quarter pedal, would the car start and run? No, it won't. It'll it'll. Uh, you, you can increase the the RPMs on it, but all of a sudden it's like it just starts out and everything shuts off on the dash. Okay, so first things first, I'm going to tell you, I got to look at fuel pressure. I want to look at fuel pressure, and I want to look at volume. Uh, and, and just because I can, if I hook up a fuel pressure gauge, one of the nice things about that is, too, I can also do a fuel sample test. That's why that's why God made Snapple bottles. You get yeah. out to the corner store, you get a Snapple, right. clean it out, and and crank it over or get the vehicle to run, depending upon how you're testing it. You should fill a Snapple bottle, the average car, in 20 to 25 seconds. That's about a pint. Okay. That's that's what the average injected car does. So, A, will it have volume? B, does it have pressure? And this should be a low-pressure system, if I remember correctly. 11 to 13 pounds comes to mind, yes. uh, but I could be wrong. No, it's but, a low-pressure Yeah, it's a low-pressure system. And then I want to also know, you know, by looking at the Snapple bottle, how clean is the fuel? What does the fuel look like? Now, the fuel, the fuel should be clean. Should be. Yeah, I say that. Should right, be. should be. Um it, but here's the best part. If if you can prove that the fuel is good, that you've got pressure, volume, and condition, we know the pump's good, we know the priming circuit is good, we know the tank is good, 
All right? Okay. Then, then the next thing I'm going to tell you is I want to get a scan tool, key on, engine off. I don't care about codes. I want to know what throttle position sensor voltage is. I want to know what the map sensor reading is. Okay. I, w- I want to know what coolant temperature sensor is. I want to take a look at, you know, there's three three or five different critical inputs that are involved in startup. You know, think about it. When you get out of bed in the morning, you open your eyes. How's the room? Is it cold? Where's the floor? Which way is up? You want to do your morning roll call on the car. Think, think, Think mechanical in terms of the car. What's it looking for in terms of wake up? Before we start playing woulda, coulda, shoulda and changing parts, Let's do those two things and diagnose it a little bit and give me a call back during the week and uh, or give me a call back next week and we can talk further. And then I'll tell you the story about the water manometer that you need to set up the crossfire. All right? Now that I've heard of. Now I have one question for you and I'm done. Okay. Real quick. Does, does the fuel pump have a filter in the tank? Um, I believe it does, but then you're going to have to explain to me why the tank's sitting. Yes, it's going to have a sock on the end. Um, and could the sock be contaminated? Sure, but then you've got contaminated fuel in the tank, and that's what taking the fuel sample is going to tell us. And that's why I want to see the sample. I thank you very much. You're very welcome, Ben. You know where to find me if you need me. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. Welcome back. Car Doctor's here. Let's wrap it up this hour. Let's go over to Chip, Appleton, Wisconsin. Chip, Ron Ananian, how can I help? Uh, sir, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Um, I listen to you every Sunday morning. Uh, my wife is always like, are you going to go to church with us this Sunday? And I said, yeah, right in front of the computer, listening to the car God now, now, preach with all his now, knowledge now, about automobiles. You see, you see now you're going to get me in trouble with the guy upstairs, but um, that's okay. Him and I have an <laughs> I understanding anyway. Yeah, I, I look understand. forward to your show every week. Thank you. I appreciate that. What can I do for you? Uh, my daughter is looking to purchase a new vehicle. Okay. Um, What's my, we've looked at what, the Focus, the Cruze, the Civic, and the Corolla. What's my price range? Um, they all have, obviously, different transmissions. The Honda and the Toyota have the CVT transmission. I don't know if they've improved those or they're still kind of up in the air on those. Right. Um, um, they all have different motors. Some you can upgrade to a turbo motor. I I. I'm not sure what to get. Uh, how old is she? Is she is this 18, she, 17? Uh, she's 21. So this is and she's this is put, put away money for a down payment. I'm really proud of her, and uh, she'd like to. I only want to get new because I just don't like the way people treat their cars. Right. I talk to people, and they they say uh, I'll ask them what kind of oil they use, and they'll say uh, whatever's on sale or whatever the oil place puts in, yeah. and it just boggles my mind. They pay all this money for this vehicle, and they don't want to put the best the industry has to offer. Chip, I'll tell but you yet, what. You drive, you drive past a Starbucks, and there's eight to ten cars deep waiting for their five or six dollar latte. Chip, Chip, you would get along well with us at the shop. So let me ask you this: Does it have to be a vehicle, or can it be a small SUV? You know, I I know you really like the Ford Escape, but I don't think she can afford that at this okay. at this point. So I'm going to narrow the field real quick. I'm going to say no to the cruise. All right. Okay. Just, just because I'm seeing some issues with GM at the present time, and I have for the past year and a half, two years. 
Um, I'm going to say no to Honda because I think the company has a bad attitude. You know, Honda's, okay. Honda's that car company that doesn't think they make any mistakes. And I'm going to say, let's just go drive the Toyota. Let's go drive the Ford. What fits her better? Here's the key thing to remember, because I don't think you can go wrong with either the Ford or the Toyota. Um, drive the car during the day. Drive the car at night. Cars develop different different personalities between daytime and nighttime, and that'll be the key. I'm sorry, Chip, the clock's going to cut me short. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. They're priceless.